you, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Okay, so that is your first Advent sermon. This is your second. So welcome this morning. Welcome all of those who have been uh, in town for the wedding. I've heard great things with the wedding, including break dancing and maybe a, a trend-setting wedding that took place at 1230, which uh, might have disqualified someone working on their sermon yesterday because we thought it was at one. And... Uh, that's an introduction to uh, um, thinking about old and new thinking, or, or the old and new, because I think Vicky and I were talking uh, about an hour before the wedding, and we said, yeah, weddings don't start at 12.30, they start at 1 or 2. And I was like, when was our wedding? She said, I think it was at 2. So, but yeah, breakdancing and flower, did I hear about flower guys? Hi, wow. And uh, I, uh, I, I hope there's a video. And if you guys listen real close and uh, pay attention, I might agree to do some breakdancing at the end of the service, but I wouldn't do it at the beginning because I don't think I would be guaranteed to get up off the floor. But, but welcome everyone that is here for the wedding and uh, welcome uh, all our guests here today as we turn to the word of the Lord. Um, yeah, we are... We are learning from uh, Charlie Brown. That's what Christmas is all about. So we're continuing with that theme, what Christmas is really all about from Luke uh, chapter 2. And so I will be uh, starting us out in prayer as part of our introduction. I just want to read um, from Jeremiah 31, which helps us also to get a bit into our uh, mindset of Uh, what we are talking about this morning of a contrast between the old and the new, but yet a continuation, contrast and a comparison, but yet a continuation, and then finally the consolation and redemption um, that uh, is prophesied or that is spoken about in Luke chapter 2. So in in Jeremiah 31, think about this now. This happened 500 years before Christ. These words were spoken. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God. And they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor 
and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for your life. Thank you for the celebration of Christmas and Advent that we are here gathered this morning to talk about and to look at from your word. You're becoming man and dwelling among us, taking on our flesh, taking on our burdens, taking on our sorrows, our sin and our shame, and ultimately taking us to God, reconciling us uh, sinners, though we were and are uh, reconciling us to a holy God. Thank you for your life, your death, your burial, your resurrection. Thank you for your word here and the example that we see <clears throat> in the lives of Simeon and, and Anna, in the lives of Joseph and Mary. Help us to gather around your word, Lord. Take a deeper look and to glean from it what you would have us to glean. Lord, there's so much that I don't know and that I don't understand still, but I know that your Holy Spirit's here. You're teaching us. So come and teach us now, Lord. Be glorified in your word. Come instruct your people. Convict people of righteousness, of sin, of their coming judgment, of their need of a Savior. Lord, and draw us near to you and strengthen our faith, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why are we in Luke? So uh, we are looking at Advent. I looked up the word. I don't know if anybody has asked Siri lately. Sometimes she gets it wrong. She doesn't necessarily know who Jesus is. She knows about Buddha. She knows about Muhammad. I've found out. But she gets a little confused on Jesus for some weird reason. But she got the word Advent right. So Advent, the arrival of a notable person, a thing or event, the second coming or the coming or the second coming of Christ. So that's what we're here to do, right? We're here to ask ourselves, uh, what, what do we need to do to prepare our hearts for Christmas? That's what Advent is for, preparing our hearts to celebrate the coming of Christ, that he has come, that he is coming, and he will come. As we prepare our hearts for Christmas this year, it is fitting that we look to, as Gentiles, we look to the gospel written by Dr. Luke, the Gentile, to Gentiles, so that our own certainty of the things we have been taught might be strengthened here at the year's end. 2022 coming to a year, it's looking forward to 2023. So Luke writes this first volume of his two-volume set, which we preach through the second volume, Acts, uh, to Theopolis, a lover of God, so that he might have certainty of the things that he has been taught. So in his introduction to this gospel that we're jumping into, he says this in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, it's important, and ministers of the word, have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis. With the result, verse three, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So Luke writes his gospel to show that Jesus is the son of man who was sent from God to seek and save the lost. Luke wrote his gospel so that his readers might see the gospel is meant for both Jews and Gentiles alike, since 
Jesus is the promised Messiah spoken about in the Old Testament. As we will see today, he writes to show that Israel's rejection of Jesus means the entrance of Gentiles into the kingdom. And our passage today, and all of that is the divine plan of God. So in our passage today, it is apparent that Luke writes to show that the Christian faith, although a newcomer at this time, when we're reading in Luke chapter 2, is indeed a fruit of the root of the Jewish faith. That it is uh, followed by law-abiding Jewish believers. Um, devout Jews and Gentiles who seek no rebellion against Rome. Part of the reason why we know that is by what Luke leaves out. He doesn't mention the slaughter of the children of the newborn, Herod's relentless pursuit to kill Jesus in their flight to Egypt. Luke is really working to show to Theophilus that, hey, regardless of what you see in every city, think of Acts, when riots break out, when this Jesus is proclaimed, this is not a faith or a religion that's meant to conquer the world by force, amen? But by hearts, by changing hearts. So that was important as a apologetic uh, for the, the gospel of Luke. So our, our text today in Luke 2, uh, verses 22 through 38 especially, it falls under the birth stories uh, found in the first two chapters, specifically the second narrative of the birth of Jesus detailed in chapter 2. So this is actually comprises much of what we know about Jesus at this young age. He would be about 40 days old as Mary is presenting herself along with her husband Joseph for her cleansing after childbirth. And they're presenting him to the Lord. Why? Because every firstborn animal or child is belonging to the Lord. And for children, they have to be redeemed, right? They have to be purchased by a lamb, or for those who are poor, by two turtle doves, hence the song, two turtle doves, partridge and pear tree, or two pigeons. So it speaks to their poverty. So why should you listen this morning? Well, the purpose of our time this morning, of this sermon, is to encourage us to set our hearts, for you to set your heart, let's say it like that, upon Christ, to cultivate a longing for the consolation and redemption that can only be found in Jesus. Jesus is the only real fulfillment for the longing heart, right? And for the longing of our hearts. He's the only source of true consolation for past hurts and redemption from future enemies, temptations, spiritual battles that assail our souls today. We've heard about it in 1 Peter. Only in Jesus will we find true joy. So why should you listen today? We're asking this question. How can we best prepare ourselves and recognize and receive Jesus for who he really is this Advent season? This Christmas is quickly approaching. We prepare our hearts by allowing his Holy Spirit. And this is in your bulletin if you want to fill in the blanks. No pressure. We prepare our hearts by allowing the Holy Spirit to stir up in us holy, insatiable longing. A holy, insatiable longing for the consolation and redemption that will not, indeed cannot, be satisfied outside of Jesus. Indeed, our longings are a deep clue to our very existence. Why we exist, Buddhists call it the problem, right? Buddhists try to kill desire. You heard this Malaysian testimony. No, they get it. Buddha gets it wrong there, said Hartha, right? Our longings are not 
a problem that we have to destroy with law. It's a clue as to who we really are. So what are we saying here? Our longings are a clue to our very existence and the relationship between anticipation and fulfillment, the already and not yet aspect of our faith. We find a clue in Jim Elliot's words to Elizabeth of all things during a courtship. I've quoted this before when Jim Elliot is courting Betty Howard during a five-year courtship. Long time, long time waiting. A lot of anticipation building up there, right? As they're serving, as he's serving the Lord as a single missionary. He says this, let not, let not our longing slay the appetite of our living. So the danger here that Jim saw and recognized is getting so caught up in longing for their future together or for any good thing that they cease to live day by day for the glory of God. And what must have seemed a string of mon- mundane days linked together, yes, with exciting ones thrown in as well. I would suggest that Jim and Elizabeth both understood the place of longing as they matured in their faith in Christ. In fact, maybe they even read a little bit of C.S. Lewis. And what he chimes in, in the voice of psych, in the, vo- in, the, in the book, Till We Have Faces, it was when I was happiest that I longed most, Sykes says, if you've read the book. The sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to reach the mountain, to find the place where all the beauty comes from. Or we have uh, Lewis talking about joy. For Lewis, Zinzuk, it's a German word. Everybody say Zinzuk. Zinzuk. Your IQ just went up just like that. I'm telling you. You can't get through one sermon with me without... Delving off into another, another language. So for Lewis, Zinzuk was the sense of deep, inconsolable longing, a yearning, the feeling of intensely missing something when we don't even know what it is. It is also related to his experience of joy. Joy is distinct, not only from pleasure in general, but even from aesthetic pleasure. It must have the stab, the pang, the inconsolable longing. That in Surprised by Joy. Lewis talking about how he became the most reluctant convert in all of England. So it was Lewis that God used some 25 years ago to show me that my own useful, youthful desires are not too strong, but too weak for his kingdom. So here we, we're talking about stirring up good desires, right? It was in a sermon I heard in 1997 in Austin, Texas. It was this quote from his uh, sermons in his addresses in The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of, the, of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That is the just of what we're getting at, right? That's the just of what we want to learn from Anna and Simeon, that we need to stir up longings. All of that might have been more than you signed up for today. But I could have told you, hey, just wait. Because that's the theme of this text, right? Waiting. How long did Israel wait? 400 years in slavery. How long did they wait between the time that we just read about the new covenant and it came in Christ? 500 years. How long did Abraham wait? Between the time that Isaac was promised and the time that Sarah gave birth in an old age, a theme that we see here in our passage today. 
So I could have just told you, hey, wait. Caleb told me, though, that's not going to go over well, Dad. Don't tell us to wait. Nobody likes to wait. So I'm not. In fact, wait is not the first step, right? It's the result of what we're talking about. Do you see it in Simeon and Anna, considered faithful saints? It's because, as our teachers this morning, they are model Old Testament saints who are longing to receive consolation and redemption and the long-expected Messiah. They are faithful to wait because they are convinced that their deepest, their most insatiable longings can only be satisfied by the Lord's Christ. The consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem. These longings cannot be satisfied in books or education. These desires cannot be satisfied by good food or travel. Our longings won't be met or satisfied with man-made, works-based, do-it-yourself religion or by becoming the real you, a lie straight from the pit of hell. Just be or do you. Your deepest longings cannot be satisfied by friendship, by marriage, by children, a successful career, even by good works done in Jesus' name. You cannot be satisfied apart from having saving faith in Jesus Christ as the answer to your deepest desires and the longings of your heart, the healing from past wounds, and your hope for tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So as we look to the examples of Simeon and Anna, how shall we wait for the consolation of Israel and redemption? Will you wait for him this Christmas? Let us wait in faith upon Jesus as we cultivate this type of longing that does not come naturally to us, right? This type of longing that does not come naturally, at least for the things of the Lord, but so naturally gravitate to the things that are seen, the things that are temporal, not towards the things that are unseen and eternal. Let us wait and cry out to him expectantly, for he is, CBC, our consolation and our redemption. So why should you listen? Because these stories are true. They're true. Christ has come in time and space and history. And he's coming back. Jesus is coming back again. Amen, CBC? Listen to these promises in Hebrews 9, 27 through 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, are you among the many? He will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. CDC, are you eagerly waiting for just Jesus during this Advent season? Or again, in Paul's second epistle to Timothy, henceforth, Paul says to Timothy, there is a laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What are you loving this morning, CBC? Are you loving the thought of his appearing? Or as we get back to Luke, let's pull it back into Luke with these verses summarized in the persistent widow from Luke chapter 18. Remember this? She's crying out to this unrighteous judge for justice. She's crying out these words, give me justice against my adversary. But the judge, he is, he neither fears God nor respects men, right? And he's totally ignoring her until finally he says, 
she's going to beat me down with her relentless coming to me, right? And so he says this, he says, uh, I'm going to give her justice, right? And the Lord says, hear, that's what Jesus says, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect chosen, right? Who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, here comes the question. Will the son of man, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? He's he's just done a really good job, right, of defining what faith is. Is this your faith this morning? Crying out to God in the face of an unrighteous society, increasingly Secular, hostile towards the Christian faith. We know it's coming, church, when we will face consequences for our faith. Will we cry out to God for justice instead of taking matters in our own hand? Will we cultivate longings for him that aren't naturally there, but instead exist for pizza and stuff? Will we be satisfied with material stuff, with intellectual stuff, with flesh-pleasing stuff instead? If, by God's grace, the preaching this morning and day, week in and week out, I know, can have something to say about this dilemma, God will find us faithful. He will find us standing in faith, believing that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him, Hebrews eleven six, And when he returns, he will find us faithful and faithing here in the historic Northeast. That's what we want from this sermon today. Let him find us faithful in this Advent season and in 2023 and beyond. So where is your consolation this morning? Where is your comfort? Where is your hope? Where is your expectation? Where is your moral purity? So this passage brings up and just kind of puts right before us. Where are your longings, your desires, and what is the source of your joy. If we are to take our cues from the faith of Simeon, Joseph, Mary, and Anna, let us take the beauty of this story, this prophecy and teaching, really all three genres, right? It's a beautiful passage. And let this be our outline. We want to see today that Jesus brings contrast and continuity. He brings, secondly, Culmination and fulfillment. And finally, Jesus is our consolation and our redemption. So where do we see contrast and continuity? Well, just standing back for a second, think about the contrast of B.C. and A.D. Jesus split time in half. Amen? Now that came later. That was decided later. But he really is the watershed moment in history, right? In space-time history, coming to the center of the map and the center of the timeline to bring about the new covenant so that we know now there's an old covenant and there's a new covenant. We would not know that apart from Jesus. Amen? So what is the contrast in this passage? Well, it is indeed between the new and the old. If you will take the elderly Zacharias, Elizabeth, Simeon, and Anna. By the way, another great contrast. Think about the angel showing up to Zacharias, Gabriel. Hey, you're going to have a son. How can this be? I'm old. I stand in the presence of the Almighty God. <laughs> I don't know what voice that could be, and maybe a Sylvester Stallone. And you will be silent because you did not believe me. 
But yeah, what happens when the same angel, Gabriel, goes to Nazareth to Mary? And she says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. <laughs> but maybe in Mary's question, it was just, okay, this is going to happen, but how can this be? And he goes, well, let me explain this to you. Why is it that angels have so much more compassion with ladies than men? It's my question, right? I think it's good. Honestly, I'm much harder on men than I am on women. In fact, when I was starting this sermon, I was going to say, of the wedding, hey guys, you know, single guys, especially, you let another one get away. I, I don't know how many times that's going to happen, but in the World Cup FIFA, it's like Masters Community Church, one, Central, zero. So let's, let's go ahead and change that score. But <clears throat> that is all under stirring up good, godly longings in you this morning. So, so what we see here is Luke taking great pains to represent Old Testament saints. Yes, they're strong. They're beautiful. They're faithful, believing those covenant problems. Uh, Promises, yet an old era is passing away, right? An old era is passing away in them, along with their deaths goes the old era of the old covenant, right? Luke has gone out of his way to emphasize their piety, their faith, albeit their advanced age of these godly saints. So look with me how he describes their faith. Elizabeth and Zechariah in, in 1 6, John the Baptist's parents. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Simeon and Anna were described as righteous and devout. That said of Simeon specifically. And Anna is seen continuing in worship through fasting and praying night and day in the temple. Both were cherishing the hope found in the Old Testament prophets. With Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel. Verse 25, and Anna said to be among those waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem in verse 38. Yet while there is a contrast here, the continuity comes and the fact that these four rep- were represented or shown as model Old Testament saints who kept the law of Moses while looking with eagerness toward the hope of the prophets. So I think it gives us a clue even today as to where the law comes into our lives. The law is good, right? We don't live ignoring the law or hating the law. We don't fall into the ditch of licentiousness. That is the contrast and the continuity that I think is really beautiful, that these aged saints are portrayed as the first ones welcoming in the new age, the new covenant. So Luke captures this contrast uniquely in a verse that is found only in his gospel. In Luke 16, verse 16, it says, The law and the prophets were until John. Think about this contrast. The law and the prophets were until John, John who? John the Baptist. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. So what is the contrast summarized? Basically, it leads us to our second point when we summarize it, the culmination and fulfillment. Up to the ministry of John the Baptist's coming, the word and the rule of God has been proclaimed through the law. And the prophets. But now, with the coming of the Messiah, Jesus the King, and John his forerunner, the word and the rule of God is proclaimed and encountered in a new way. Jesus is the word. Amen? John 1 1 through 3. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the long awaited king bringing in the long awaited kingdom. And it's here now. Amen? Amen. At least in part. At least in part. 
So those of us who are on this side, right, those of us ever since this passage, in fact, really, they've experienced this monumental transitional period. No longer do we merely live in the era of promise with the law and the prophets awaiting the consolation of Israel, but now we live in the era of fulfillment. When the kingdom of God is proclaimed as present, it's here and now, powerful, albeit not yet consummated. It's the already not yet aspect of our faith. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So one way to summarize both contrast and continuity, and anytime you're contrasting something, you're comparing them, but one way to contrast it would be to say Luke wants us to see that the heir of the law and the prophets is coming to a close as seen in the lives of these excellent representatives of that heir as aged and at the point of their death. Simeon speaks of his death. Now, Lord, you're letting your servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Yet Luke would also have us to see that there is continuity here. Namely, there is no conflict between the error of the law and the prophets and the new age of the kingdom of the Messiah. Luke does this by showing the most devout Jewish believers welcoming the coming kingdom by being among the first to welcome the king, 40 days old. They rejoice to see the consolation of Israel and redemption of Jerusalem and the Lord's salvation prepared as a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to Israel. These saints rejoice that the new covenant has come. So other contrast comparisons in Luke's gospel would be sinners and Saints, right? The sinners or the tax collectors and the religious figures. Angels and shepherds, heaven and earth, Jews and Gentiles, elves and hobbits. If you guys are following. So also, uh, again, I I love the two stories and the reactions of uh, Zechariah being struck mute and and Mary being explained in detail. Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and that's how it's going to happen. But we needed that, right? We all needed that. So do you see the contrast comparison also of the work of the law and the work of the Spirit? Look with me at these verses. Verse 22, 23, 24. Each time it's mentioned that all of that is happening is in accordance with the law. Verse 22, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Then comes Simeon. Suddenly you have Simeon entering and notice that he's described as righteous and devout. Now, how can that be on that side of the cross, right? You ever had that question? How were people before Jesus saved? That's really what we're getting at, right? He's saved by his faith in the Old Testament promises that God would make redemption. He would send the Redeemer all over the book of Isaiah, which we preach through those highlights, right? But look how Luke really harmonizes the work of the law and the work of the Spirit. Because then you have Simeon who comes in the Spirit. He's righteous and devout, right? And he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word, by the way, uh, being the nickname for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, notice that, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He was not going to see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
And he came, here is the pivotal linchpin verse, right? Because you have both law and spirit here. He came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. So if you're counting, and we should because Luke with mathematical precision has mentioned the law exactly four times and the Holy Spirit exactly four times when you count the consolation of Israel as the Holy Spirit because it's his nickname. Isn't that amazing? You'd catch that in Greek. Four times and four times. They're tied up, right? And that brings together this beautiful moment where the Spirit leads Simeon into the temple along with leading his parents into the temple to do according to the law what was right. And the moment just gets sweeter as this old man takes the baby Jesus up into his arms and worships. And what he speaks is both worship. It's also an amazing prophecy. It's also a, a hymn, a missionary hymn. It really is beautiful. But let me get back to my notes. So do you see it here, though? Do you see that the work of the Spirit and the work of the law bring together this beautiful moment? You guys see that in verse 27 especially? Luke is doing that intentionally to show that there is no conflict here between the law and the Spirit. Amen? There's no conflict here between the work of the Lord through the Old Testament prophets and his continuing work with the new covenant and placing the law of God in our hearts, writing it in our hearts by his spirit. So Luke does that to draw our attention to the continuation. So let's turn now to culmination and fulfillment. Culmination and fulfillment. Each time we see the law of the Lord, the law of Moses, or the law of God, it is clear that Jesus is being presented here as the real sacrifice. Think about this. Mary and Joseph there for the cleansing that's required after childbirth. Jesus would pay for that cleansing. Love the Christmas song. Works out well here. Mary, did you know? And that question comes. Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered, Mary, would soon deliver you. Jesus is presented with a sacrifice, normally a lamb, but in the case of poverty, doves or pigeons are acceptable, would suffice. This according to the law of the Lord, whereby all the firstborn children and animals are devoted to the Lord, but the children are redeemed, are brought back, right, are bought back. So this is first proclaimed in Exodus 13, right, in the story of the Passover lamb, where the blood of the lamb put on the doorframe is what causes the angel of death to pass over in the sparing of the firstborn child. So here, Mary and Joseph really are offering a lamb. Amen? You guys see that beautiful picture? They're really offering the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And that leads us to the point that Jesus really is the culmination of the entire sacrificial system, which proves to be but a shadow of the real. Hebrews is a wonderful book on that. So, Moving along here, Jesus did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. He says it himself in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus has come to fill the cup full. Now, what cup? 
the cup of the righteous requirements of the law of the Lord. He has come to fill that to the brim. Each one of us are giving that cup. This is something maybe that we could share with Muslims somewhat. Muslims, when they're born, their father whispers in their ear and they say that scales appear. Here are your good deeds, here are your bad. We don't exactly believe that, but I believe there is a cup, right? In other words, there's an expectation placed on every man, woman, and child who are in the Imago Dei image of God. You must live according to the righteous requirements of God's law. If you don't, you will die, right? But we cannot fill that cup. How many have tried? How many have tried through your own efforts, right? We must lift that cup to Jesus and he fills it. Think about this. Just the fact that this cup exists, right? Jesus speaks about a cup, the cup of his father's will, but now I'm using this figuratively. That really is the source of our angst, our guilt, our shame, anxiety, depression, is that we have that cup, right? And we always resort to going back to trying to fill it ourselves. Galatians, the entire book of Galatians is written about that. Are you rebuilding what has been destroyed? Yes, right? Are you so foolish, Galatians, having begun by the Spirit? Are you trying to be perfected in the flesh? So the reality of the righteousness of God that he requires from us, and the reality that that's lacking until we lift the cup to Jesus and see it filled to overflowing by the power of the Spirit, that is what we're talking about here this morning. That love of God poured out into our hearts according to Romans 5. Again, at Jesus' baptism, think about this. Though John the Baptist would have prevented him, saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not worthy to untie the strap of your sandal, cousin, Jesus, right? He's going to prevent Jesus from accepting baptism by him. But Jesus says this. John says this first. I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Matthew 3, 15. Let it be so now, thus, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus' baptism, a part of that filling all righteousness, all that he did does that all his life, right? And what we get to do is accept that as a free gift this morning. Amen? Amen. Do you long for that? Is your heart ready for that? need to accept that for the first time, or we need to accept that yet again this morning, reminding that it's by grace that we stand. So we have culmination and fulfillment, a continuity as Jesus fulfilled the law, the righteous requirements of God's commandments, Jesus was the fulfillment of all God's promises. Paul says that expressly in 2 Corinthians 1.20. when he says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So we, we transition to our final teaching point, namely that Jesus is the consolation and redemption that we seek. It is fitting that we see that he's the fulfillment of Isaiah 49, 13 and 14. It says this, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. This, into this... World, These words were spoken and Jesus came, right? So let us see, finally, that Jesus is the consolation of Israel and the, and the redemption of Jerusalem. Will you set your heart upon him this morning? Why consolation? Well, Isaiah 
40 helps us here. It gives us insight. It says, comfort, really console, console. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And yet again in Isaiah 49, 14, we read, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. So the answer to why consolation really is because in the context of Isaiah 40, we're talking about the warfare with their enemies. They had been given over for the punishment of their sins. You'll remember the context here is the judgment of God, the fear of man, loneliness, exile. Can you feel these scriptures? Can you relate to some of that? Christmas season, winter season, the need to be comforted, the need to be reminded that everything is going to be all right. And yet the reminder that our longings for healing and for restoration over past losses and miseries are altogether lovely and fitting and good to offer up to the Lord and lament and a cry. Can you see that God is gathering his people like the good shepherd that he is, even in Isaiah 40, to heal them, to restore them, to console them? And notice, while we begin with Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel, when he addresses Joseph and Mary, right? He says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So what was hinted at in Zechariah's prophecy is now made clear that this gospel goes to all. This offer of consolation is spilling over out of the nation of Israel into the hearts of the Gentiles. The blessing of God's consolation is now available to all who will receive it. And this is good news for Gentiles. Any Gentiles here today? Couple, two, three, two. So as far as I know, right, if, we're, if you're not a Jew here this morning, you're considered a Gentile. Imagine that, though. This good news goes to the hope. This hope goes to all nations. It's amazing. And God brings down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. We see this, right? Ultimately, in these verses, Isaiah uh, 52, 9 Break forth together into singing, you waste places, Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And the coming of Christ, this prophecy is fulfilled as the Lord has consoled his people, what Simeon was looking for, and the Lord has redeemed Jerusalem, what Anna is looking for. Here is the salvation, right? That has been prepared in the presence of all peoples. Jesus was not crucified in a corner. He was crucified in a land bridge area of the world that connected the major continents of Europe, Africa, and Asia. Think about that. God did not place his son to be crucified in some obscure corner called the United States or North America or whatever it would have been called there. Western Pangaea. No. He places him at the center of the heart, the very heart of the world, so that the message goes from there, right, out to all. So here we see that, that salvation that God has prepared in the presence of the people, 
That is spoken about in Isaiah 52.10. It's a great Rich Mullins song too. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So as we come to a close this morning, is there a difference between consolation and redemption? I borrow from Piper oftentimes. Here he says, Consolation speaks to those longings for healing and restoration from all the past losses and miseries of life. In Isaiah, the people had experienced judgment and exile with all its guilt and fear and loneliness and death. Consolation is when God comes to heal and restore and revive all that has been thrown away or lost. Anybody have any experiences or any parts of their heart or their life like that this morning? Whereas redemption speaks to our need to be delivered from powers that still hold us in bondage. Redemption is a work of power to save from enemies that still threaten us. And redemption, finally, I would add, includes deliverance from sin. It would include deliverance from Satan, the enemy of our soul, from the kingdom of darkness, from the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that threaten to undo us, right? Martin Luther sings that, right? And though this world with devil's field should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can't endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. One word. Yeah. Amen, Sanji? Amen. And then it goes on, that word above all earthly powers, right? Look it up. For lo, his doom in short, one little word shall fail him, right? So in conclusion, as we um, reflect on what we've heard this morning in a meditation on Luke chapter 2, 22 through 38, let's think about the three comings of Christ. First, there is the one that came in history. Then there's consummation. Jesus is coming back. Amen. We say Maranatha. But what about the third coming of Christ? Has he come to you yet? In Hosea 6, 1 through 3, we read, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, that he, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. For those who are outside of Christ today, maybe some have been deceived like so many of us. I spent so many years deceived in thinking that it's your works, it's your merits, that you're basically a good person, that you're keeping the agreement with Jesus even. Is there a longing in your heart today for something that the world has not been able to satisfy, that man-made religion has not been able to satisfy? Could it not be that God's Christmas gift for you today is to see Christ as your consolation and your redemption and to receive him for who he really is? So application, how can we, this is in your bulletin, how can we, how can our hearts really be prepared to recognize and receive Christ as the Christmas gift of consolation and redemption is that he really is. One, let go of the illusion that anything else can satisfy your deepest desires for forgiveness, 
for belonging. Your desire is to be known, to be loved, to be accepted. Specifically, let go of the fear of man, including the praise of man. May that become an anathema. May you become disillusioned with it all. To let go of the love of stuff. Hard during Christmas season, right? And we're offered a lot of stuff. You can ask Alexa, hey Alexa, where's my stuff? She'll tell you about it. Tell you it's on the way, right? Through Amazon. We become disillusioned with the stuff of earth. Three, we want to cultivate. We've been talking about this. Cultivate a deep desire and longing for the consolation and redemption only Jesus can find. For the comfort and deliverance that come from him alone. Meditate on the word of God, like this passage even, and allow it to lead you to worship Jesus as your consolation and as your redemption. So as I was writing that last night, I don't know why, but just the thought of the, the hymn, Jesu, man, Joy of Man's Desiring, popped into my mind. It's by Bach, right? Can't play it, can't sing it. When you listen to it, it's really hard to understand what they're saying, right? Because they're singing in those angelic voices. That's why the, you always have to look at the lyrics. Bach actually wrote an original before it was redone. And it said this, Well, for me, well for me that I have Jesus. Oh, how tightly I hold him. That he, may, he might refresh my heart when I'm sick and sad. Jesus I have, who loves me and gives himself to me. Ah, therefore I will not leave Jesus, even if I feel my heart is breaking. Jesus remains my joy, my heart's comfort and essence. Jesus Fends off all suffering. He is my life's strength, my eyes' desire and sun, my soul's treasures and pleasure. Therefore, I will not leave Jesus out of heart and face. Other verses are really good too. They've been redone. Jesu, joy of man's desiring, holy wisdom, love most bright. Drawn by thee, our soul's aspiring, soar to uncreated light. Word of God, our flesh that fashioned with the fire of life impassioned, striving still to truth unknown, soaring, dying round thy throne. Though thy way where hope is guiding, hark what peaceful music rings, where the flock in thee confiding, drink of joy from deathless springs. Theirs is beauty's fairest pleasure. Theirs is wisdom's holiest treasure. Thou dost ever lead thine own. And the love of joy is unknown. This is Jesus. This is what he offers today as our consolation and our redemption. If you are here this morning on the outside of Christ looking in, may you enter in to the joys of heaven through entering in a covenant. It's like a marriage proposal. We read that new covenant right of Jeremiah 31. It's always been God's plan to be our husband, our true and faithful husband. Hosea, all over the book of Hosea, he is our true and faithful husband, our bridegroom. We are the bride. You're welcomed in in the same way each of us who are in Christ have been welcomed in. If you're in Christ today in need of hope, in need of consolation, just in need of a stirring of good, godly affections that would allow you to let go of some other things, some pieces of your heart that have been stolen away, for other lesser things, even some unhealthy things. And may God do business with your heart through his Holy Spirit to draw him, draw you to himself and to increase your longings and your capacity for him. For in the same 
way that he increases our longings. He increases our capacity for joy, for pleasure unknown in him. Amen? That is my prayer for you and for me this morning, and that when Christ comes, he will find faith on the earth. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for your saints here today, for your praying ones, praying for many who maybe today have yet to embrace you, Jesus, as their consolation and as their redemption. We pray if there's anyone here today that has yet to step across that line, has yet to hand their heart to you, to lift that cup of the righteous requirements of your law to you, Jesus, to be filled, to lift empty hands of faith so that you might place in them all that they ultimately need and desire, forgiveness of their sins, healing from their past rebellion against you, healing from all the hurts through unwise decisions and righteousness, holiness as a coat, as a wrapping. Lord, we pray that they would receive that today. For all of us, all of us who are in Christ, Lord, we pray that you would increase our longings for you, for holiness, for righteousness, for nearness, your nearness being our good. Lord, that you would comfort us and that you would heal us and that you would set our minds upon you in a way that makes this Christmas go differently than it would have had we not been able to do that. Lord, many of us will be around family and friends who maybe don't know you. We pray that through meditating and thinking about these things that we might bring hope and help and healing to our families, that we might bring consolation uh, that you are, Jesus, and the redemption that you offer. We love you much, Lord. Come do business with us even now as we worship you in song and as we anticipate uh, Christmas season being together as family and celebrating um, Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Love you much, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.